And I just want to speak briefly to the announcement Darren made about the uh, Friday night pumpkin carving family time. Just want to encourage you to come and, and be there. I know Darren just spoke to it, but again, that's not, not only a time to connect, but it's also an opportunity to, to go in a meaningful way and, and connect with people who aren't believers. I mean, people who are our neighbors or people we work with and say, hey, why don't you come hang out with us, have some food, have a fun family activity. It's a great inv- invitation, great opportunity to invite someone to come and, and be a part of our church and kind of experience community. So I want to make sure that that's just on the forefront of your minds, that you come out and bring a friend on, on Friday. Uh, otherwise, hey, go ahead, open up your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 4. Again, Exodus chapter 4, and we're not going to have the words on the screen this morning, which sometimes we do that around here, so it means uh, you need a hard copy. There are some uh, Bibles on the seats in front of you if you need one of those, or if you have your phone or device and want to follow along in the text there, that is okay too. Again, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, and hey, while you're finding that, I do want to say thank you for your prayers. Those of you that prayed for our staff and our board, our whole team, uh, 10 of us in total went down to San Diego this past week uh, from Monday to Thursday to a a ministry conference down there, and we just had a great time learning together from great uh, pastors and leaders and speakers who just talked about life and ministry and loving the Lord and also just how to lead in a local church setting. And so we all had a great time learning and the travel down there went smooth. Uh, we had a lot of fun, laughter, memories, good food. No one went to prison. It was just a really good time overall. So thank you for praying for us. Um, Darren beat everybody at pool. He's really good at pool, apparently. Um, but really, we had a phenomenal time. We're excited to, to learn together, process all the things that we heard, and then think about, okay, what does that mean for life here at FBC? We're so grateful to be uh, a part of this church to get to know and love you and, and lead you and care for you as, as pastors and as staff and board members here. So uh, we're eager to just come back and, and be a part of this church and what God is doing here in Benicia. So thank you for your prayers. We're really encouraged by that. Um, let's get right to it and read the text, shall we? Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. Again, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. In Exodus 4 and chapter 3, God is calling Moses to go back to Egypt, lead the people out of slavery into freedom and so they can worship God freely. But now Moses is wondering, wait a second, what if the people don't listen to me? He's doubting. And as I studied this text, I just thought about how normal it is to doubt, how frequent our doubts can be as part of just the normal human experience. We often have uncertainty. We often lack conviction at times. We're not always sure what is true and what is untrue. It seems like more than ever our culture is clouded by doubt because there's so much information out there, so many voices and opinions that sometimes it's hard to know who to believe and what's actually true. Sometimes we'll read an article online that'll tell you about all the health benefits of kale, how kale is amazing, it's this great new superfood you need to try, and then 
The next day, you could come across an article that says three foods that are secretly killing you. And one of those three will be kale. And so you'll be like, which is it? Is it the kale is great story or the kale is terrible story? And you know that experience in so many different topics, whether it's politics or news or whatever's going on in the world, there's so many different opinions. And you'll hear A, and then you'll hear non-A. And you're like, well, which is it? And it leads to this culture of, of doubt. We just, we're not entirely sure what is true, and that is true of our spiritual lives as well. Often we doubt God or we doubt the words we read in Scripture. We don't know what to believe or we're unsure of our convictions. I'm so grateful that as we're studying the book of Exodus, we see Moses, and Moses has questions and Moses has doubts, and we see that really we can relate with him. We know what it's like to be in that place as well. Even as Moses has this powerful encounter with God, God shows up after years Moses has been in the wilderness of Midian. God shows up to him in this burning bush in this miraculous way and he speaks to Moses, calling him to follow him and lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses has some questions as God commands him to go. And as you read through the encounter in chapter 3 and 4 of Exodus, you'll see that some of these questions seem quite reasonable. Maybe questions we would have as well if we were in Moses' shoes. For example, in chapter 3, verse 11, the first question Moses has in this encounter says this, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This is a big project ahead, Lord. I'm not sure I'm qualified for this task seems like a pretty big job. I don't know. Who am I that I should go and do this? Okay, fair enough. His next question in verse 13 of chapter 3, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Reasonable question. If they ask for your name, what do you want me to say? How should I explain who you are to them. What should I tell them? Fair enough. But as the conversation continues, we see that for Moses there's this lack of eagerness to respond. He's not exactly willing to cooperate with God's plan. We see his next question again in verse 1 we just read. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Now, at first glance, Maybe that seems like, again, hey, that's an understandable question. What if the people don't believe me? But we need to remember what we read last week at the end of chapter 3. If you were here with us, we studied it together. In chapter 3, God is calling Moses just a few verses earlier to go. And he says, I want you to gather the elders of the people, the leaders of the people, and tell them this message that I am giving to you. And then verse 18 of chapter 3. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt. The elders of the Israel will listen to you. So go to the elders, the people, they'll listen to you. And Moses is like, okay, great. They'll listen to me. I'm tracking with you, God. I hear you. They will listen to me. But then chapter 4, verse 1. Hey, but what if they don't? Like, I, I hear you, they will listen to me, I, I, I'm, I trust you, I believe you, but what if they don't? 
Like, like what's, what's our plan B, you know, just in case that what you say is going to happen doesn't actually happen? Do we have a, a plan for that, possibly? How are we going to handle that? So we see in Moses' question, he's not just innocently asking for some more information, but he doesn't believe God. He doubts God's word. They will believe you. And Moses is like, oh, I'm not so sure they will. He's not believing God. Maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking about what happened earlier in chapter 2. If you're here with us a few weeks ago, Moses in chapter 2, he kills this Egyptian and then he tries to mediate this conflict between two Hebrews, tries to stop them from fighting. And do you remember what the Hebrews said to Moses as he tried to intervene? They said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Who put you in charge, Moses? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And so maybe that scene is just on repeat in his mind. He hears that ringing in his ears. They're going to say to me, who are you? Who made you ruler? Even if I go and say to them, hey, God told me to come to you and say X, Y, and Z, that wound from his past has made him say, you know what? I'm afraid that they're going to react that way again. God, they're not going to believe that you actually appeared to me. So can we just, just be honest for a moment? Look at Moses and see how much we can relate to him. How we have doubted ourselves. And I don't say this to say we should strive to be like Moses. We should doubt God more. This is a great thing. That's, that's not what I'm saying because the text shows that Actually, the opposite is true. We should trust God. God is trustworthy. He is true. He can be trusted in every way. We should not doubt like Moses. And yet, in honesty, we're not always there. We're just, we're not. We have questions. We wrestle with things. You know, one of the reasons that people often give for why they left the church or why they left the faith, I hear this from people, is that well, I wasn't able to really process through my questions or I had doubts and they weren't taken seriously. We weren't able to talk about these objections. Instead of actually walking through things with me, people just tried to keep me quiet or ignore the questions or hope that they would eventually go away rather than just talking about them. And so I want us to see that Moses had doubts and questions and he wasn't always in the right and yet God met with him, was gracious, was patient with him. And so I want us to see that we can face doubts as well. We can talk about doubts as well. We together as a community can walk through these things together. I know that Pastor Kyle does such a great job of this with our students, saying, hey, you got questions? Great, let's talk. You got objections? Great, hey, let's talk. Let's jump in together. Here we go. Let's see what God has to say. I know that if you approach me or if you approach... Pastor Lee or someone on our board with questions. We wouldn't just shut you down. We wouldn't just tell you to ignore them. We would take, take them seriously and say, hey, great. Let's talk about those things. Let's explore these questions together. Hey, I, I've had doubts and questions too. Great. Let's work through this. And I don't say this as some kind of like revolutionary new thought or as if we're the only church that has that posture. I know of so many pastors in, in our town or friends of mine from seminary leaders in churches 
that, hey, if people bring questions to them, they would welcome that and say, yes, let's talk. Yes, let's explore this. Yes, let's be honest about our doubts because ignoring them is not the answer. So I appreciate that we see with Moses some of his flaws, some of his doubts on display. But you notice how God responds to Moses. Verse 2. It says, well, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So he's saying, okay, Moses, I can play ball. You're having trouble trusting me. You're having trouble believing me. Okay, here's a sign. He has Moses throw his staff on the ground, and the staff turns into a snake, and then Moses did what any sane person would do with a snake in the room, he runs away from it, says, I don't want any part of that. But then God says, no, hey, pick up the snake, grab it by the tail. So he picks up the snake by the tail. But he does it, and it turns back into his staff. Pretty miraculous moment, wouldn't you say? Pretty spectacular. And there's some difference of opinion about what exactly was God trying to communicate with this whole staff into a snake incident. But everyone agrees, if you really get down to the bottom of it, that in some way God is trying to show a display and evidence of his power for Moses and the people to see. Some commentators will say, well, it's God showing his power over the natural world. It's God showing his power over evil things, scary things like snakes. Some say it's God showing his power to take something ordinary like a stick and turn it into a snake, and then back again. Some say it's God showing his power over Pharaoh, because the sign of a snake was the, the emblem or the, the image representing Pharaoh in ancient Egypt, representing Pharaoh as king and as ruler. And so it's God showing, I am in control over even the most seemingly powerful human leaders. So however you slice it, this incident with the staff and the snake is intended to be God displaying his power to Moses and ultimately to the people. God was able. Even though the task was scary ahead, God was powerful and was with them. But he's not done. He continues in verse 6. It says, Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So Moses says, okay, hey, let's say the snake thing's not enough. Sign number two. Moses takes his hand out of his cloak, and it's diseased. It's leprous. And he puts it then back in his coat, and he pulls it out again, and it's restored. Again, a pretty miraculous event. God again showing Moses, his power, his power over the natural world, his power to do miraculous things, possibly his power over Pharaoh, again, his power to judge Pharaoh. Sometimes in the Old Testament, a, a skin disease or leprosy specifically is a kind of consequence or punishment for pride. So some commentators say this is God hinting that he is going to humble Pharaoh. 
God in his strength and in his power is going to come against the might of Egypt and he will win. But he's not done yet. There's more. Verse 8. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Sorry, all right, one last sign. Snakes, not enough. Skin disease, not enough. How about the water of the Nile turned into blood on the ground? It's hard to overestimate the importance of the Nile River to the people of Egypt in the ancient world. They saw it as their source of life, their source of wealth, their way of life, their economy, everything depended on the Nile River for stability, for them to be a thriving society. It represented the very life of Egypt, and God is now saying, I have power and control over that as well. So God's response to Moses' doubts, he gives him these signs, these miraculous displays of power and God's presence. And maybe we look at this and we, we want something like that today. You know, we're like sitting in our living room trying to work through a big decision in our life. And we're, God, can you just show up in this whole signs and wonders way? Like, can you turn my coffee table into a koala bear or something? Just like, let me know you can do something in this situation. Sometimes we, we want something easy like that, something quick like that, that, that undeniably shows us God's with us. God is present. But I don't think the experience of Moses here is, is normative or that we should expect God to work in this way. If we fast forward a little bit to the New Testament, we see some people asking Jesus for a sign in Matthew chapter 16. And do you remember what he says to him? He says, no! So I'm not going to give you a sign. In fact, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, he says, which is a reference to the resurrection. I'm not going to give you a sign. I'm not going to jump through your hoops. But you will see me dead and buried for three days. And you will see me come back to life and the church move forward. I think the same is true for us today. God's not going to necessarily show up in our living room and perform some powerful tricks for us to see he's with us, but he has shown us his power in the resurrection of Jesus. We can all look back to that event in history and see the hand of God and see that Jesus is alive today and see that he is with his people now. And so I'm not saying that we shouldn't work through other reasons to believe. There are good reasons to believe that the scriptures are reliable. There are good reasons to believe in God. But the, the hinge, the, the, the key to the Christian faith is the event of the resurrection that we can look to with certainty, say that Jesus is alive. That's the sign that God gives us for today. But Moses still has some doubts. Even after these miraculous events with the snake, with his hand, the water coming forward. Verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. 
So here you see Moses' angle kind of shifts, right? He's not doubting God's word anymore. Like, let's, you know, what if they don't believe me? Now he's saying, well, I'm not qualified for this. He's doubting himself. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. More literally, it says, I'm heavy of mouth. God, I'm heavy of mouth. It's not going to go well. And here again, we can relate with Moses, right? How many of us look at the situations of our lives and we say, I don't know if I'm qualified for this. Not smart enough, not skilled enough, not wise enough, not experienced enough to, to have this job or this ministry or, or these kids or this spouse. I don't, I'm not qualified for this. So often we feel overwhelmed at our own inadequacy, our own lack of skills or preparedness. And sometimes doubting ourselves can be a virtuous thing, right? isn't it? Sometimes it's a, a sign of humility because it's fools that say, I am equipped for every task. I have nothing to learn. I can handle this. Here we go. That's what a fool says. A wise person says, no, I, I know my limitations. I know how I fall short. I know I'm inadequate. And so if self-doubt can be a really good and healthy thing, a virtuous thing, a sign of humility, why here with Moses is it kind of cast in a negative light? Well, it's because he's not just doubting himself. He's doubting God. He's doubting God's plan. It's one thing to say, you know, I'm not really sure I'm qualified for that. And then it's another thing for God to say, hey, I'm going to send you, let's go do this, and say, you know what, God, I'm not really sure I'm qualified for this. I'm not really sure that you know what you're doing by sending me. I'm not really sure that your plan is really all that wise because you've picked me. He's not just doubting himself. He's doubting God. And at this point, we really have to zoom in and see how is God going to respond when Moses seems to have low self-esteem. I'm not eloquent. I'm not right for the job. How does God respond to Moses? Because it's not how we might expect him to respond. Or maybe at this point, our, our modern wisdom would say, well, Moses has low self-esteem. He just needs to be encouraged. He needs to be built up. God needs to come to him and say, Moses, hey, you're not so bad. Man, you, you are a skilled dude, all right? You, trust me, you, are, you can handle this. You have been trained in the school of Egypt, the best training in the world. You have received it. You were born a Hebrew. You were born to lead my people. You were made for this. Come on, have a little confidence. Believe in yourself. You can do this, Moses. Go read some inspiring Instagram posts, all right? Read some self-help books. Go listen to some motivational speakers, Moses. You can do this. Is that what God says? No, look at verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So notice what God doesn't do. God doesn't point Moses to Moses. He doesn't say, Moses, you're so great. Moses, you're not so bad. Moses, you can handle this. Believe in yourself, Moses. No, God points Moses to God. 
God points Moses to himself, saying, don't you realize who I am? Don't you realize? I'm the one who created mouths. I know about your speaking situation. Don't I make the deaf and the mute and give sight or make blind? Aren't I the one with, with power over all of this? I am. So go. I'll help you. I'll teach you. I'll be with you. And I'm not saying that there's no place for encouraging words or building people up or reminding people of how God has gifted them. I'm not saying there's no place for that. But ultimately, God doesn't point Moses to Moses. He points Moses to himself. See, throughout history, we've thought that one of the main problems in society or in the world is that people uh, have too high a view of themselves. They're proud. Arrogance is an issue. And so we need to humble people. We need to remind them how small they are. But now, today, it's kind of shifted, and in, in the modern way of thinking about things, we say the problem with the world isn't necessarily pride and too high a view of oneself. It's people view themselves too lowly. People have low self-esteem. That's the issue out in the world, so we need to encourage people. We need to build people up, remind them, make them feel good about themselves. But God sidesteps that dichotomy and really shows us a third way. He says it's not really about you at all. Not thinking about too high of yourself, not thinking too lowly of yourself. How about you just don't think about yourself and you just look at me? I mean, really, that's the third way that he gives us. Thinking of yourself less. Moses, it's not about you. It's about me. I'm with you. That's all you need to know. It's not about you. Your reassurance, your, your confidence isn't supposed to be in yourself and your gifting and your skills or how prepared you are. It's supposed to be found in me. And I will be with you and I will teach you what to say. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to guide you. I'll be with you every step of the way. So sometimes we need to, we need to doubt our doubts. You know, I'm doubting that God is good. I'm doubting that I can do this. I'm doubting that God has called me to this. We need to doubt our doubts and say, is that really true? If God is with me, is that really the case? I still remember the doubt that I experienced when I was considering taking this job. A few years ago, I was 26 years old. And then I turned 27 during the interview process. I was like, is this crazy? Like that I'm applying to be a lead pastor at a church? Are they crazy for even considering my application? Like, Lord, is this really what you're putting in front of us? Can I lead in this way? I'm too young. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not wise enough. And most of that was true. And I was like, God, what is going on? And so there was lots of prayer and discernment going on for Amber and I in our situation. And there was, I know, lots of prayer and discernment going on here and with the search team. And ultimately, we sensed that this was the way that God was leading. I remember during that time, those few months, while the interviews and the search process was going on, I remember just praying and trying to process through all this, if this was right, if this was the step God had for us. And I remember in multiple different ways and at multiple times, God brought up Psalm 127 to my mind. Generally, it seemed like that verse just kept coming up over and over again. And Psalm 127 starts by saying, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor 
in vain. I just really sense God was, you know what, Matt? If it's all up to you and about your wisdom in building and your skill, then you're going to go and try and build something that's going to be in vain. But the good news is that you're not the one building this church. You're not going to be the architect of it. The Lord is. I am. So I'm going to send you, and I'm going to build this thing, and I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to be with you. It's not about you, Matt. Unless the Lord builds it, those who build it labor in vain. And I found great peace in that moment and encouragement. God's the one who has to do the building. It's not about me. And friends, this is where true peace comes from. This is where true comfort comes from. That God is our help. The Lord will teach us. The Lord will guide us. The Lord is with us. This is true for Moses then. It's true for us today. That's the heart of the gospel message, isn't it? Is reconciliation. Right? Because of our sin, we were separated from God. We came under God's wrath, his righteous judgment and condemnation for our sin. But God, in his grace, forgave us in Christ. Jesus paid it all for our sins. He died on a cross for you and for me so that we would not be judged and condemned, but we would be forgiven, cleansed, washed, welcomed into God's family, adopted as his sons and daughters, brought back into right relationship with God so that both eternally and now we can walk with God. That relationship is restored. We are reconciled to the God who loves us. That's at the heart of the gospel. So again, that's not just an eternal truth that one day we'll be saved from judgment. That is, of course, true. But also now, God walks with us. We have right relationship with him now because of Jesus. Not through works, but by God's grace through faith. So back in Exodus 4. God gives Moses these powerful signs in verses 1 through 9. And then God promises his presence with Moses in verses 10 through 12. Surely now Moses is ready for the job. Surely he says, okay, Lord, let's get to work. Here we go. Yeah? No. Let's see how he responds in verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else. I mean, he's trying to be polite, at least. Like, <laughs> pardon your servant, Lord, please. You know, he's not just like, no. But he's saying, please, you must know someone else for this task. He's trying to soften the blow, perhaps. So really, at the bottom of it is no. Send somebody else. I'm not your guy. And so we wonder maybe if this has finally kind of gotten to the bottom of the doubts, the questions, the objections, the yeah buts, the yeah what abouts that Moses keeps throwing out. They're really at the heart of the matter. He doesn't want to go. He's not interested. Send someone else. Have you ever been invited to a party or something, some event that you didn't want to go to? 
and the person inviting you was annoyingly persistent about you being there, and they started undoing all of your perfectly logical reasons for not being able to go. Okay, like you say, so you get invited to a party. You say, you know what? We're, we're kind of hungry. Like, we haven't had a lot of eat, to eat today. We just need to go home and get some food. And they're like, don't worry. The party's going to have food there. Like, okay. You're like, you know what? We're, we're really tired. We can't, as a family, we just don't, we don't need another late night. We really should just stay in. The party's going to be over by 7 o'clock. Don't worry. You'll be home in no time. They're like, you know, we're kind of having actually some car issues. We're not sure if our car is going to, we don't really want to drive it much. We're sending an Uber to your house. They'll pick you up. Don't worry about it. Like, you know what? Okay, let me just level with you. I don't want to go. <laughs> right? Like, they just kind of move through all your excuses, all your reasons. You got to just get to the bottom of it. And you're like, you know what? Look, I just, I just don't want to go. Sorry. That's where we get with Moses. God's like pushing past all of the reasons, the excuses, the things that Moses throws out there. And we finally get to the bottom of it. Moses is like, look, I just don't want to do it. We finally see this with Moses. And look how God responds in verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. So God gets angry. Scripture tells us that the Lord is slow to anger, but he eventually gets angry. And some of us are not used to seeing God in this way, and yet the text shows us this is true. His anger, though, is always just, always righteous, always calculated. God's like, you know what? Fine, Moses, but you're still going to go. I'm going to send Aaron with you. He'll speak for you. I'll speak to you, and you tell, you tell Aaron what to say, and he'll kind of be your mouthpiece, but you are still going. Moses doesn't get out of it. And so it just makes us wonder, you know, is there something that God is calling you to today that you're hesitant about, like Moses here? Is there a step that God has been prompting you towards that you have been making excuses about or flat out saying no? Maybe it's the decision to come to Jesus in the first place. God is drawing you, offering you grace and salvation and forgiveness, and you're like, no, no, no. What about this? What about this objection? I don't know if I can wrap my mind around this. God's saying, come to me. You're saying, no, no. He's saying, make the decision today. Maybe there's some opportunity in front of you to serve, to join a small group. Like, I'm busy. Got a full schedule. Not sure if I'll get along with the people. Not sure if I'm qualified to serve in that way. Not sure if God wants to use me there. God's like just bringing it up and saying, no, 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 no. Look, do it. Take that step. Take that step. Take that step. Maybe there's some sort of career change in your future that God's bringing up over and over again, reminding you of some new opportunity, some new direction that he wants you to head. Maybe God wants you to take simple steps of obedience, like having your neighbors over for dinner. Your neighbors who don't know Jesus, 
wanting to love them and build a relationship with them. And you said, uh, we're busy. They don't like food. They wouldn't show up. I don't know if they'll come. Let's just not do it. It's too difficult. You guys saying, no, no, no. And he keeps prompting you. He keeps bringing that up. It's a reminder to say yes to what he's putting in front of you. Maybe you need to get help and see a counselor. And he keeps bringing that up. Saying, no, I'm not sure. It'll, it'll, it'll be uh, embarrassing or I'm not sure how people would think about that or I'm not sure I can, I can handle it myself. I'm strong enough to do that. It's like, no, no, no. Keeps bringing it up. Maybe some new project or direction that your family needs, your, your kids need help with something, your kids need to explore something new, and God keeps putting that in front of you rather than saying, no, 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 we'll be fine, saying, go for it. For some of us, this is about maybe a current crossroads we're facing, an upcoming decision. For some of us, maybe there's nothing like that in the near future, but down the road, we'll need to remember this text and we should respond to God. Or maybe some of us, we're in a situation right now and Exodus chapter four is to remind us how we got here, why we're here in the first place, that God is at work in your life now, empowering you for this purpose. God's placed you here. And so I don't know what that prompting might look like for you or what exactly God in his grace and in his power is moving you towards, but I wanna encourage you to embrace that call he's putting on your life say yes to him in big things and in, in small things. As a church, we really need to cultivate that heart of openness to how God is guiding us. And of course, using scripture as our guide, letting wise believers speak into our situation and help us if we're having trouble hearing. The other thing I want us to see about this text is how incredibly gracious God is with Moses. He provides Aaron for him. He's like, hey, I'm still gonna work with you, Moses. Think about the mercy that God shows to Moses. I mean, this is the eternal creator God of the universe who sustains all things by his word and by his power. And here is Moses, a, a puny little man that God created, just dust of the earth, telling him no. Straight up. And be like, well, God, I don't know. Are you sure, God? Well, what about this, God? And God has the patience to walk through that whole conversation with Moses and respond and give him signs and help him see. Instead of just wiping him out in an instant, he works with Moses. He's merciful with Moses. Some people think that, well, in the Old Testament, God is just wrath and about justice and righteousness, and it's not until the New Testament that we hear about grace and love, but that is not true at all. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see a God of justice, a God of wrath against sin, and we see a God of grace and mercy and kindness and patience, and this is on display with Moses. What mercy, what kindness he shows to him. And yes, eventually for us, there are Serious consequences for rejecting God and saying no to his salvation. We would face hell and judgment. So there's, of course, the encouragement for all to say yes to Jesus and come to him for salvation. And that in Christ we have no fear of condemnation. That in Christ we have this patient, gracious God who's covered over our sins. And where do we primarily see the grace of God displayed? 
It's in the cross of Christ. We look to the cross. We remember Jesus, that he died for us. He died in our place. He took your sin and mine so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. We see God's grace in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That Jesus wasn't like Moses, refusing the mission, saying, no, I don't want to go and be born of a virgin and live this life and ultimately die for the sins of the world. Instead, he said, yes, of course, I'll go. And he came and he rescued us. And so we have a chance to remember Jesus as we come to the table together. We're going to celebrate communion as a church family, which is where we take the bread and the cup, and it reminds us, helps us celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, our Savior. We remember that we deserve death, but Jesus died for us so that we could be forgiven. We practice an open table here at FBC, which means even if you're from out of town or just visiting, uh, for anyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we invite you to come and participate with us. The elements are gluten-free. The music's going to play in just a moment. I invite you, as you're ready, to come forward, partake with us, celebrate Jesus with us. Let's pray. Well, God, we love you, and we come with humble hearts to say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, your patience, your kindness towards us. That even though we were running away from you, we were lost, we were broken without you, you came, Jesus, you found us, you saved us, you forgave us of our sins, you've given us new life. And so as we come to the table, Jesus, we remember you, we celebrate you. You are our savior, you are our king. We have life only in your name. Be glorified here today. Amen.